0: I'm pulling in my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. Okay, so today is a topic uh, suggested for my blog. I'm gonna talk about the design of colorless. So we're gonna talk a bit about the history of colorless uh, and then I'll I'll get into the philosophy of how we design for it. Okay, so uh, colorless starts with alpha. So when Richard Garfield makes alpha, he makes five colors. And he makes Cullis. Now, in Alpha, uh, Cullis, one for one, went with artifacts. Uh, the idea being behind it is that artifacts were magical items and that any, any mage could make use of the magical items. Now, I do want to point out, from the very beginning, um, artifacts definitely had leaned toward colors. Not that, not that in Alpha you had to pay colors to use them, but... Um, you know, Gauntlet of Might made your red creatures have plus one, plus one, and your swamps tapped... or not swamps. Your mountains tapped for an extra red. A very red-feeling artifact. Um, Cormus Bell turned your swamps into one-ones. Uh, so there definitely were things that sort of leaned in a certain direction, but early on, the idea was kind of what made artifacts stand apart. Their sort of defining quality. I mean, creatively, they were magical objects, but um, mechanically, they were colorless. They had generic mana. They were colorless, um... They had no color, and they had a generic mana cost. Um, I should point out, by the way, that lands, also in alpha, uh, for the, the whole point of the game, lands have been colorless. Um, I'm not really going to get into designing lands today. I did do a podcast on that a while back. But I'm talking more about designing things that have a generic cost. So lands are colorless. I'm not forgetting that. Um, but I'm talking more about sort of colorless uh, spells as opposed to lands. Um, okay, so... Alpha comes, you know. Oh, the other thing that we learned in Alpha was I think Richard's idea of what was an artifact or not was just a flavor. Like this is this seems like it wants to be an object. Because it's an object, it'll have a generic cost. Um, things were not costed, like when, for example, the Neverall's disc is a card in Alpha. I think it costs one to use, four tap sack, uh, and you destroy all permanents. Um one of the things about Early Magic is the colors weren't super balanced. Have um, you ever heard of the Power Nine, which are like the nine most powerful cards in Alpha, in, in theory? Um, the six of them are colorless, uh, the five moxes and Black Lotus, and then three of them are blue cards. It's uh, after Recall, Time Walk, Time Twifter. Um, so blue just had slightly better things. And so early the Early Magic metagame, if you will, um, really pushed toward blue. And one of the challenges of Blue, one of Blue's weaknesses is, is that it has trouble, it can't destroy things. It can counter things, it can steal things, it can copy things, it can bounce things, but it doesn't actually destroy things. So, if you get a good board presence on the board, you can overwhelm Blue and Blue has trouble. So, it turns out that having a Nevinroll's Disk was very valuable. Um, it in fact, helped Blue, like, Blue had an inherent weakness and Neverall's Disk answered the inherent weakness. Like, one of blue's problems was, well, what if your opponent just gets a lot of things out fast, faster than you can counter them, and then you just blue doesn't have good answers, or at the time did not have good answers for any sort of mass thing, but uh, while blue did not have answers, Nemeral's Disk and Artifact did, and so Neveral's Disk saw a lot of play. Um, and it saw a lot of play, not just in blue decks, but in a lot of decks. It was just very efficient. Um, and so that is the, the beginning of our theme here. Of One of the challenges of generic costs is anybody can play them. And so, if you make a card that's universally you know useful, something that everybody might want to play, well, they can play. We will get into this. This will very much shape the definition of how we design for, for colorless. Okay. So, the second ever expansion was called Antiquities. It had an artifact theme. Um... Arabian Nights, which was the first expansion, had a uh, 1001 Arabian Nights theme, so it's sort of the first top-down set. One could argue the first universe is beyond set. Um, but the second set was the first to have a mechanical theme, and that was artifacts. Um, and I think every, minus lands, which mostly tap for colorless, uh, I think every card in the set referenced artifacts in its rules text, or, or what, you know, was an artifact. Like the word artifact appeared somewhere on the card. Um, and it really sort of, like, I think it, artifacts became a pretty popular card type. Um, I think there was something about them that was fun. It was universal. Um, magical objects are fun. But we started realizing that there were just some challenges that we were coming into. So the next big turning point uh, is we get to mirrored in. So Mirdin, this is, we've started doing, uh, starting with Mirage, we started doing blocks, and then starting with Invasion, we started doing sort of themed blocks. Invasion was multicolor. Uh, so eventually we get to Mirrodin. Mirrodin is an artifact block. I was very excited. I pushed this for a while. Uh, we made a brand new world, which was this sort of artificial world of Mirrodin, um, where things were made of metal, and, uh, it kind of broke stuff, um, so much so, uh, that we had what we called the Blob problem. So basically the way that it would, used to work back in the day, or still works I guess, is we would make cards, and then if things got problematic, well we had a ban list. We could ban cards. The problem we had during the Mirrodin sort of era was that if we made a good card, and, and because it was an artifact-themed set, and we wanted cards that were good, some of the cards we pushed were artifacts. And they ended up being really good, and then everybody had access to them. So it was hard, if we just banned one card, well, then they just played the other good card. You know, like, like all the good cards in Mirrodin, or most of the good cards, were colorless cards. And so, like, in, or, in order to solve the problem, we ended up having to ban, I don't remember exactly, eight cards or something, a lot of cards, a lot more than we've ever, we had ever banned before. Um, and it really sort of showed us one of the dangers is, if artifacts are uniquely colorless, um, you know, generic mana, it's hard to push them. It's hard to make cards because if you do and you make a powerful card, everybody wants to have access. Uh, a classic example is we introduced equipment in Mirrodin. Equipment quickly became evergreen. Um, and we just found that equipment was a little too much because if you made a strong piece of equipment, every deck could play that strong piece of equipment. Um, so we struggled. Okay. Now, uh, the next important uh, thing to come up would be Future Sight. So in Future Sight, uh, that was part of the Time Spiral block. Um, we did Past, Present, and Future. So the gimmick of the Future set was we wanted to hint at the future. So we had these Future Shifter cards that were just us toying with things we maybe or maybe not one day would do mechanically. They were glimpses into potential futures. So one of the cards I made was a card called Sarcomite Mirror. So it was an artifact creature but it had a blue mana cost. Also, by the way, it was a mirror that had been uh, which is a little hint of what was coming. Because we had, when we had been to Mirrodin, we had very subtly stuck in um, that the fractions were there. I mean, very subtly. Uh, and then the plan was, when we returned to Scars of Mirrodin, you would see what had happened. Um, and I will get to Scars of Mirrodin in a second. But anyway. Um, that's a little teaser of that was coming. Um, so I made the first ever colored artifact. Um, I think that was the first one. The first artifact that just had a colored mana cost. Um, I had planned to get there somewhere. It seemed like a place to go. Um, it wasn't so much that, like, as you'll see, we later got to colored artifacts more out of a necessity from a game balance standpoint. But when I first made it in Future Sight, it was just, hey, here's something new we could do. Um, and my, my intent was that I was going to introduce it when we went back to, to, um, to Mirrodin. But in the meantime, we had a set called Shards of Alara. So, Shards of Alara, um, the premise of the whole block was there was a world in which it got broken into five pieces, and each piece had a color and its allies, but not its enemies. So, what would white be like? What would a world of white mana be like if there was no black and red? To corrupt White's vision, uh, and there, so there were five different worlds. One of the worlds, one called Esper, was the blue world. Uh, so it had an allies white and black, but it didn't have red or green. Uh, and so the world we built was one in which, like, uh, technology had advanced so much to the point that you know they had whatever they needed, and so much so that they had adapted themselves that they were able to improve on their own bodies. Uh, and to capture that. I had a mini team. I was in shard. I was the leader of the Esper mini team. Uh, it was all Marks. Uh, it was me, Mark Gottlieb, and Mark DeLobis, uh, the all Mark team. Uh, and we came up with the idea of what if all the creatures in the set, it's not in the set, in this shard were artifact creatures? What if the idea of they evolved so far in Esper and then Esper had this sort of artifact theme to it, reinforced by the fact that all the creatures were artifacts? So that meant I had to take this trick that I was saving and use it... Um, in Shards of Lara. So it had... So the, the Esper theme was very artifact-based. It had a lot of artifacts in it. But the artifacts were all colored. This would be important. We'll get back to that. Okay. We continue on. We make Shards... Uh, so not Shards. Scars of Mirrodin. So we finally do the set we've been doing where we go back. The Frexians are there. There's a giant war between the Mirrodins and the Frexians, And the Phyrexians win and make New Phyrexia. Now, what we I, I ended up doing in a New Phyrexia was... Uh, the mechanic that uh, Aaron Forsyth, that made um, called Phyrexian Mana. And we made it so that the, the, cr- the cards that had Phyrexian Mana were mostly artifacts. So uh, Phyrexian Mana let you pay it with colored mana or with life. Um, but again, we sort of leaned into this idea of colored artifacts. Uh, we tied it to Phyrexian Mana, so it was a little bit different. But again, you started saying uh, colored artifacts. Um, Okay, next up in our timeline, uh, we get to Rise of the Odrazi. So we had gone to Zendikar, um, and then we had Worldwake. Uh, and then we had planned that year to go to a brand new world for the third set. Uh, it was the first time we'd ever done large, small, large for a block. Uh, and I think Bill's idea was we do large, small, and then a whole separate place. The, the, the separate large sets, it, it, it's in its own location, its own world. But the creative team at the time was not staffed up like they are now. They could not handle multiple worlds in one year. So they said, well, what if we make an event so big that so changes the shape of the world that we could reset the mechanics? Uh, And they came up with the idea of the Eldrazi. Uh, And the Eldrazi were these ancient, ancient creatures that were so old that they predated color. So one of the things we did is, for the first time... That I remember, we might have done this as a one of, but we had a set where colorless was not equated one for one with artifacts. In Rise of the Eldrazi, the Eldrazi were colorless. Now that included the three legendary Eldrazi, but also there were spawns of the Eldrazi. Uh, and there were tokens that they made that were colorless. And so there's a lot of different things. Oh, the one other thing I did, I, I guess I missed this real quickly, is in onslaught which goes back a couple of years we did make the morph mechanic uh, and the morph mechanic made face down cards and the face down cards were uh, colorless because you paid three generic mana to make them so i i guess i skipped over that morph was another us uh playing in space of colorlessness that wasn't in harry artifact so I, I i just realized i missed that so i guess technically morph is the first time we're experimenting as a theme with non-artifact colorless things. Now given they, on the back they there's something usually, usually colored, um, but at least on the front they were not. So that also was colorless things. Um, so Rise of the Drazi not only had colorless creatures, now, you know, Alpha had artifact creatures that were colorless, but it had colorless sorceries and instants and enchantments. Um, so one of the schisms that we had made early on was that artifacts were the only thing that, are, that were colorless, and that colorless things were uniquely artifacts of the land. Um, as you can see, as time evolves, we start breaking that down. We start having artifacts that are colored. We start having color spells that aren't artifacts. Um, as we sort of explore magic and magic starts doing more things, it starts divvying it up. Um, now, uh, when we return to um, Zendikar and battle for Zendikar... Um, We had left on a giant cliffhanger with the um, Eldrazi. So we come back. There's a giant war. Um, We decide that we really wanted to find the Eldrazi through colorlessness. We made a mechanic called Devoid that allows you to have colored mana but still have the artifacts... Or, sorry, have the cards themselves be colorless, which is something we hadn't done before. Well, once again, we had teased it in future Sight. There was a card called uh, Ghostfire, I think, that cost red mana but was colorless. So... Future I was teasing a lot of different things like that. Um, but anyway, uh, in the second set, so there was a lot of colorlessness because the Eldrazi came back. In the second set, Oath of the Gate Watch, we introduced colorless as a cost. So up till that point, up to Oath of the Gate Watch, if you looked at a, a mana, like we had used the bubble with a number in it as a mana system to mean two different things. So if you had a bubble with a two in it, that meant either um, it cost two generic mana, or if we used it in the rules text, like if we used it in an activation cost, uh, either a mana cost or an activation cost, that meant it was a generic mana. But if we used it as a, uh, in the rules text, like, tap a Soul ring, produce two, that was generic mana. That, sorry, that was colorless mana. Um, but once we decided that we want colorless mana to be a cost, as we did in Oath of the Gatewatch, we then had to m- separate those two things. So instead of doing a 1 in a circle, we now do a little diamond. That's the colorless mana symbol. Um, But Oath of the Gatewatch allowed us for the first time to use colorless as a cost. Um, It turned out that colorless as a cost, there's a pretty high barrier from a structural standpoint. You have to make lands that can produce colorless. Um, And the way that it worked in in the Magic's past is um, I don't think Alpha even had a card that tapped for colorless. There they were dual lands that tap for colors and basic lands. Um, in Arabian Nights, Richard, for the first time, made what we call utility lands, where the lands could do things beyond just tapping for mana. Uh, and when he did that, one of the tools he did for balancing, although not all the Arabian night lands tapped for mana. We would later make that a rule, but it wasn't a rule in Arabian Nights. Um, some of the time, he would have a tap for colorless just because um, if you have a tap for color, the kind has to come into play tapped, um, and, I mean, we later would have, like, losing life and stuff, but um, it's a clean way to have a card that doesn't come play tapped and can do something is to produce colorless mana. Um, and we did make, eventually, dual lands. Ice Age dual lands that could tap for colorless or tap for colored, but it was pain pain lands. If you tap for colored, you lose a life. So it let you tap for colorless as a way to not take the pain for tapping for colored. Anyway, in order to do colorless matters as a cost. Colorless has a cost. Um, you need to have enough lands that produce colorless in a way that that can support that. So it, it's a theme that we will do again, um, but something that is not easy to just throw in. Anyway, uh, next up, we made Kaladesh. So Kaladesh was our third, well, our fourth set with a artifact matters theme, uh, but the third one that had generic costs. So we had Mirrodin, in, we had Scars of Mirrodin, in, we had... Kaladesh, and then as a separate case, we had the Esper shard of shard Zolara. Mirrodin horribly broken, caused lots of problems. Scars of Mirrodin kind of broken, caused some problems, although not as much as Mirrodin. Kaladesh again uh, pretty broken. Um, Scars of Mirridin's stress was not as bad as either Mirrodin or Kaladesh. Both those sets had huge problems, um, and we came to the realization that uh oh, like generic mana is just problematic. That we can't push generic mana. Now, we can make things that are what I would call niche, meaning we can make artifacts that are colorless, you know, generic mana, that um, do really weird things, and maybe even powerful things, but narrow, meaning not every deck would want to play this card. But as soon as we make something that's sort of uh, generally useful, everybody plays it and causes the problem. And we learn that time again and again. Now, along the way... um, Oh, but notice Esper which was an Artifact Matters theme in which they were all colored, didn't cause a problem. Mirrodin, Scarza of Mirrodin, Kaladesh, generic mana, causes problems. Esper, same theme, but colored, didn't cause a problem. It really opened our eyes up to that the answer to, I mean, either we stopped making good artifacts, we could just not make artifacts strong, we could, you know, cost them for limited and stuff. Um, but if we wanted to make strong artifacts, we did, people like artifacts, they're popular, we needed to start making them colored. And that is the move to that. Um, The other thing, by the way, you'll notice in Strixhaven, um, again, we found a different means to explain colorless spells. In Strixhaven, uh, all the first-year spells, like you declare your major at the end of your first year, um, you you join one of the five schools, basically. Uh, But for the freshman year, before you do that, we represented those schools by being colorless. Those spells were colorless. Um, The reason we did that is one of the values of colorless is when you're trying to do multicolor, um, actually, colorless does some nice things. It fills in your gaps, um, and so it allows you—like, let's say I want to make a monocolor theme, for example. Well, and let's say I divide, you know, the set evenly, so I have 20% of each color. Okay, now if I want to play two-color, well, I have 40% of the cards that are accessible to me. If I want to play one color, only 20%. It's just not very viable. So when we want to do themes that push toward monocolor, we will add in colorless as a support. Also ironically, sometimes, even with multicolor, we'll throw in colorless as a support. That The nice thing about colorless is everybody's access to it. So sometimes if we have a certain theme that we want people to have access to, uh, like lessons in Strixhaven, we were able to put them in colorless. So um, that is a thing we do. So now let me get into designing for colorless, now that I've talked all about the history of colorlessness. So, the big lesson that we learned, and we learned along the way of Magic, is that um, generic mana is dangerous, and that one of the things that the color pie does for us is it says, hey, here's a powerful card, but there's a cost. I, can't, I have to play this color. There's five colors. I can't play every color. And in construction, most of the time, I can play one or two, usually. Sometimes you play more, but it, it comes at a cost, So, if we put a powerful effect in a certain color, well, only decks that play that color can play that. So, not every deck will play it. But if we make something that's powerful, that's generic, well, every deck will play, and we've done that in the past. Especially with stuff like Mirrodin, where... Like, one of the problems of Mirrodin Black was every deck was playing the same bunch of cards. And one thing to to be... The other thing is, the reason we have color in the first place, the reason Richard invented color, was Part of a trading card game is you want people to make different choices. You want different cards of have different value in different decks. And a big way of doing that is to make things colored. So when you make things generic, it kind of undoes that and, and causes problems. And like I said, I get why Richard made artifacts generic in the beginning. It is super flavorful. Um, and if generic mana didn't cause such play balance issues, we would do more of it. Now we, we've decided we still do want to do some generic artifacts. They're flavorful. Um, We tend to do a lot for limited, and we cost them such that they're not going to be a problem in constructed. Or if we also make them, we also can make them them narrow in ways where they serve a certain function but aren't generally useful. All that can still be colorless. And the rule is, when you make something colorless, um, and and by the way, we actually have somebody on the the Council of Colors um, that each color has a representative, and colorless, which I should stress is not a color, it is the absence of colors... Uh, On my blog, my line is that colorless is no more a color than barefoot is a shoe type. Uh, But anyway, we do have a representative for colorless. Uh, Recently, we've started having them come from the play design team. Um, We used to use colorless as our entry level, so, like, have people learn the ropes when they first get to the console colors. Um, But recently, we learned that colorless is really rate-oriented. What I mean by that is rate means how powerful something is with the cost it, cost to cast it, versus what it does. Um, And what we've learned with artifacts is if the rate is too good and the card's not narrow enough, it causes problems. So the general rule when you design for colorless is you have to look at the colors and say, what color does this the worst? And am I making sure that my costing is not undermining the weakness of the color that now has access to it? Um, For example, one of the classic things is uh, we set a line for destroying target permanent. Um, different color, you know, red can't destroy enchantments, black can't destroy artifacts, um, green can't destroy creatures. Um, and green can fight, but green doesn't destroy creatures. They're not artifacts or flyers, I guess. Um, but anyway, we wanted to make sure that we're not um, causing problems there, so we set a hard and fast limit. That if you want to destroy a permanent ink colorless, it costs seven mana, basically. Um, we occasionally let you split it between um, the activation cost and the casting cost. So sometimes we divvy it up. But basically, it costs you seven mana. We're like, okay, here's a point in which you can use it. Um, one of the things that's very helpful for colorless is limited has a power level that's much lower than constructed. And so we can design things and make them work in limited in a way that they just aren't going to be problems for constructed. So a lot of the color stuff we do um, we do do with an eye for a limited in mind. Because if something's going to be worse than the worst color, well, it's tricky to get that played uh, in Constructed at times. But in Limited, it can be very valuable. So a lot of our color, especially at low rarities, a lot of our color stuff is playing in that space. Um, now, we do want to have colors things that aren't C Constructed played, with, you know, things with generic mana. Um, the key we've learned for those is it really has to be narrow in its function. It can be strong and it can be a very useful tool. It just can't be something that every deck would want. It has to sort of lean in certain directions to do that. Um, So when we make something colorless... um, Now, for example, um, recently we did the Brothers' War, Uh, and the Brothers' War was a look back, kind of a not Antiquities. Antiquities was done at a time where all artifacts had generic costs. So the thing we did in Brothers' War is we said that all the, the artifact costs had to be generic, but that we could weave color into the card. So you saw unearth costs and, uh, and prototype costs and other costs that were um, colored so that there were, there were colorless artifacts, but to kind of optimize them, you needed to have color mana, um, and that, that was important. Uh, but that, that is a big thing in designing colorless is, A, figuring out where's the function, where, where's it for, if it's for a limited, we cost it for limited, and usually things costed for limited. There's exceptions. Um, won't be uh, a constructed problem. The, the what is good enough and limited is lower enough in power that usually in constructed it's not an issue. Um, we have to be careful when you're doing new things or new events or new effects sometimes. Um, and the other thing to be careful of is, uh, we've learned over time that colors that really need help on something are willing to dip. And so um, that's another thing when making colorless is understanding when it, not every card is undermining a weakness. There are plenty of things we do that don't cause that. Um, and there are things that we've sort of learned to let colorless do at a little stronger rate. Um, we let colorless do land fetching. We let colorless do some mana production. Um, some of the stuff that we need to help with sort of mana bases. There's some support that artifacts can do. Um, and because mana bases are something we're very, very careful with, it's it's easier for us to fine-tune things. And the other big thing is the more you do something, the better you understand the nuances of it. Artifacts can be tricky, but certain things like artifacts for mana is something we've, we've had so much experience with that we've really fine-tuned how exactly something can do. So we understand when making manor rocks or making land-fetching stuff. We, we, we have a good sense of that. I mean, land-fetching, we want to be careful not to undermine gr- green. Um, but anyway, so nowadays, the majority... Whenever we want to push an artifact, um, unless, like I said, it's narrow enough, we will put it into colors. That, that's a common thing we do now. Oh, we want to make a... You want to take a, an equipment and push it or just some artifact that you want to be a little more aggressive than normal uh, the key to doing that is to um, to be conscious of using colored mana. So that that is just a tool that we we have access to that we're very careful with. Um, the other thing. Uh, so let me talk a little bit about the future of of colors. I'm I'm, I'm at work, but uh yeah, I get a few more minutes. I'm tr- I try and make sure even when I get here a little early that you guys get your full thirty minutes of content. Um, so. The idea of artifacts one for one colorless is pretty much a, a thing of the past. Um, we will make colored artifacts. We will still make colorless artifacts. You know artifacts that are colorless with generic mana. Um, like I said, nowadays either they are meant for limited uh, or you know casual constructed, or they're very they're designed very p- particularly so that they go in a particular deck, but they aren't just generally useful. Um, we will continue to make colorless spells meaning colorless spells that aren't tied to artifacts. Um, The Eldrazi was one execution of it, uh, but that is not the only execution. We don't need the Eldrazi to come back to do colorless spells. Strict save is an example of us doing that. I think it's a matter of of finding where and how to do colorless spells that thematically feel right, mechanically feel good. Um, We will do more of that. Um, Colorless as a cost is something I expect us to do again. um, Like I said, it has a lot of structural support. Um, sometimes there's mechanics you can do and just throw in. It's not a problem. And sometimes it's like, no, no, no. The set has to support it. And says cost is one of those things. I do think, once again, we'll find a place to do it that won't necessarily be Eldrazi. Um, well, we do tie Eldrazi to Cullis. So, like, if Eldrazi returns, yes, it, you would see them tied to Cullis. Maybe even see Devoid come back. But um, you were not— those tools are not inherently tied just to that thing. Much like we've learned that, like— Colors don't, doesn't just have to be artifacts. It can be other things. So, um, all those tools are at our disposal. Uh, and we will continue making generic costs. We do like generic costs. Um, I actually, I didn't even get into generic costs. Generic costs on colored cards is a very different animal. Um, but that's probably, that's probably a a thought for a whole different time. Uh, As far as generic costs, um, I think I've given you the basics. So anyway, I hope you guys enjoy this little, uh, jaunt through history, looking at the sort of... The nature of callousness and, and artifacts and generic costs and all that and colorless mana. Um, I hope that was insightful. Uh, but anyway, guys, I am here at work, as I told you a few minutes ago. So we all know what that means. It means it's the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic and talking colorless, it's time for me to make some magic. So I right, guys hope you enjoyed today's uh, little conversation. And I will see you all next time. So bye-bye.